Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Five Feet Under podcast with your host, Kendon Lusher. I am Kendon Lusher, obviously. This is a podcast where I ask an artist or really anybody who creates anything five questions, and they answer the five questions. Pretty simple. And today's guest is Keith Pilly. I will let Keith introduce himself and his projects. I am a culture writer and musician in Minneapolis. Also, I've been a cartoonist off and on. The uh, hottest project I've got going right now is a podcast called We've Been Had, where a friend of mine and I are walking through the entire catalog of uh, the band Uncle Tupelo, song by song. It's, I think it's pretty good. You can find it on iTunes or Google Play or wherever. Uh, I also do make music with a couple of different outfits. Um, best place to look there would be to look for the Awesome Boys on Bandcamp. And yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I've also got a bunch of other writing and stuff on KeithPilly.com. Um, I'm easy to find. First question. What album have you listened to the most in the past month or so? So I got to kick this off by saying I feel bad about the fact that I do uh, mix playlists way more than albums these days. I try not to, but it's just once you know, once I fell into that habit, it's hard to get out of. That said, if I do listen to a complete album, it's been a lot of St. Vincent. I really like the way she just plays with rhythm. Um, you know, the, the rhythm playing under what she's doing is always really jittery and just kind of awesome. Um, I also like that she does new and interesting things with the electric guitar, which is kind of tough to do now after 50 years of people doing the same stuff. Uh, I like just, you know, interesting stuff in technique and production. I also just like the way she does this really kind of Bowie-esque trick of somehow seeming really open while also kind of keeping herself mysterious. Um, I also got to say I've been listening to a lot of old Les Paul and Mary Ford on Spotify. Uh, it's really cool hearing virtuoso guitar work from before our modern expectations of what an electric guitar should sound like and solidified. I uh, like just check out the song How High the Moon and tell me that it doesn't just rule instrumentally and vocally. Uh, finally, I've been listening a bunch to a new Minneapolis surf punk trio called Last Import. Uh, it's three, three women who just rule. Their drummer is a beast. Question number two. You are a pretty big Akewood fan, which makes you all right by me. If you had to pick one Akewood character to be your spirit animal, who would you pick and why would this character represent the essence that is you? I think about this a lot, actually, weirdly. It's been just, Akewood in general has been on my mind a bunch lately. Anyway, it is totally 100% Raymond Quentin Smuckles. Uh, I can make a case in my head for Cornelius and sometimes if I'm in a grouchy mood, I can kind of fall into the Cornelius, you know, arch world weary uh, persona. But uh, I mean, Ray is the aspirational character for me while I'm still young and spry enough to pick up a guitar and jump around. Because I mean, the thing is, the thing with Ray is that it's pretty clear that Onstad and the Akewood readership also felt drawn to him since he took over the strip right after he showed up. And I think Ray would be a fun character to write, or he'd be a fun character to be, or 
he would be, you know, if he somehow existed in the real world, he would be a guy that would be great to know. Uh, fundamentally, the thing about Ray Smuckles is he goes through life constantly believing the best possible story about himself at any given time, even if he's just being a dumbass. And just wouldn't that be a great way to be? That would be fantastic. Even when he totally fucks up, he makes it right and moves on without falling into a hole. And that would just, that would be great. Um, you know, and he, I mean, he's, he's, he can be a boor, but he's not malicious. And he actually does improve himself a little bit over the course of the strip. So yeah, Ray Smuckles forever. I'm actually thinking about stenciling him on the front of my amp. Talk me out of it. Question number three. Real Big Fish are covering three songs, and these are the only three songs anyone on Earth will ever be able to listen to again. Lucky for us, you get to pick the three songs. Which three are you picking? And yes, all movies, TV, and etc. will be edited to only include these songs as the score as well. Okay, so if this is it for music for all eternity, that plays a lot into my choices. Basically, I gotta, you know, setting preference aside, I gotta go for diversity of style. I gotta go long to give us all as many options as possible. Uh, plus, I think, you know, this is like the death rattle of music, so I wanna give Real Big Fish a good workout before they hang it up. So, first off, they are gonna have to buckle down and do the ska punk version of Beethoven's Ninth. Uh, you know, this gets us a couple of things. This will kind of preserve classical music for us, uh, which is important. Um, and, you know, if this is going to become the score to all TV and movie, I mean, it gives, you know, it gives the movie people a lot to work with, at least, and that's something. Um, Hip-hop is pretty important, and we are going to want the post-musical singularity world to have some access to the idea of angry protest music. So I guess it's also time for us to hear the real big fish version of Public Enemies Don't Believe the Hype. Um, that's going to be something. And then finally, finally for number three, let's get them to do the, uh, the song Wrong and Boyo by the Rulers that The Clash covered on London Calling. Partly because it's just a great song no matter who does it. And, um, you know... Real Big Fish had to work pretty hard on those first two. They really had to stretch. So let's, uh, I just want to give them an easy one for the third one. So there we go. Question number four. You are a Midwestern punk who draws cartoons, so I gotta assume you were involved in zines or at least interested. What was the zine scene like in the great state of Minnesota when you were growing up? So... I actually didn't grow up in Minnesota. I grew up in Nebraska. And I think that matters here because, yeah, I can't speak to Minnesota, but I know that in my corner in Nebraska when I was growing up, we were so isolated that, that zines didn't really, zines probably made it to Omaha, um, but they did not make it to Blair, Nebraska, uh, which was the backwater where I grew up. So I wasn't even really aware of zines until, you know, by the time I was an undergrad, again, I was kind of in a backwater for undergrad. So really I was out of school and living in the Twin Cities. Um, by the time I finally heard about zines, I had this young idiot thing going where I thought it sounded kind of cool, but I never really got involved because it just seemed like impossibly hard to make them, which is funny to me now because now I, 
Now my whole thing is like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm going to make that. But, um, you know, back then I was like, oh, I can't possibly do this. Write all that and photocopy. My God. I actually met my wife when we both worked low-level admin jobs at an art museum in Minneapolis. Um, and she just approached me in the hall and asked me if I wanted to make a zine because she thought I seemed like a zine guy. And we never really did get the zine project rolling, really, but we did get married, so that's you know, that, that's something. Um, I did end up starting a webzine in 2005 that was a lot of fun, but also just totally burned me out. But that kind of led to me being able to get writing and editing jobs and doing interesting freelance stuff. And also, I think that was what convinced me that, like, it's possible to do stuff, even if it seems hard. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was kind of weirdly late to, to the zine world, but I was... It was always there and I was always chasing it. And the fifth and final question is, best Wilco song, worst Wilco song, and most medium Wilco song, question mark. Okay, so my preface here is that I lived and breathed Wilco from AM through about Sky Blue Sky and then fell off pretty rapidly. So um, there's definitely a bias to what period is covered here. That said, uh, the best song of theirs by far is ELT on Summer Teeth. Um, that album is just great because that's, to me, that's where they finally first hit their full potential. They had moments of greatness. I mean, they, AM has a couple of moments of greatness. Being there has a lot. Then Summer Teeth is just bam. Hey, we are a great band. Um, and on that album, ELT is the song that like does the best job of mixing their ability to just rock out, but also, you know, the production is just lush without being overdone. You know, it's just, it's perfect. It's, te it's textbook on how you put a lot of pieces together and balance everything and make it sound good without just making it sound dead and stiff. I actually once did a weird experimental comic trying to break down the production of that song. And it's just, it's, it's crazy, all the things that are going on. Um, uh, one thing that I love in particular about that, if you listen really closely to the chorus of that song, there's some backing vocal tracks where they, they made a mistake. Um, half the vocal tracks, it's like, every little thing, every little thing, Every little thing is gonna tear us apart. But, so half of the backing tracks are saying, is gonna tear us apart. Half of them say, just tears us apart. Or maybe it's you apart, I can't remember. Anyway, the point is, half say just, half say is gonna. And they, they left it in like that. And I just, I love that. I love that it's like this high gloss production, but they left a human fuck up in there. Um, God, the guitar part's great. That's just a great song, top to bottom. The worst Wilco song, and I would be shocked if there's some if there's something I haven't heard that eclipses this. I, I kind of don't want to hear it. The worst one by a country mile is it's just that simple on AM. I mean, AM's a weird album anyway, you know, for a bunch of pretty obvious historical reasons. Um, you know, you feel like they had half an Uncle Tupelo's album's worth of material there and then had to start filling stuff in. And so 
hey, John Sturratt, why don't you sing one? It just doesn't work. Uh, it's not an accident that he never grew into a co-lead singer. You know, I mean, you do have to hand it to him. He is a good bass player. He has remarkable longevity in that band. He's the Rasputin of Wilco, surviving all the purges. But he perpetrated the worst Wilco song. That's just, that's the way it is. The median Wilco song is Camera from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It's fine. It's not great. Um, it's certainly not bad. You know, you hear it and you're like, oh yeah, Camera, that's all right. It can be elevated into great with an energetic live version, but you know, natively it's just kind of right there. A lot of things above, a lot of things below. Right on and thanks. That is our show for today. Thank you to Keith for answering our questions. And all of Keith's stuff will be linked in the show notes on beardedgentlemanmusic.com. Obviously, right now I'm going to ask you to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Thank you and bye bye